This afternoon, as we examine Lord's Day 3, reflecting on the sin and misery of mankind, mankind is commonly plunged themselves into, we'll be reading in connection with that from John 15. And our focus will be verse 11, but we'll begin at verse 7. And you'll be able to find that on page 1243 of your pew Bible. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now reflecting on that foundation of love that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us, and the commands that he gives us, keeping that in mind as well, we'll now turn to Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And you'll be able to find that on page 519. So up to this point, the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism have wanted to make us aware of why we need a Savior of our desperate need, the desperate need of mankind. And the previous question and answer before this Lord's Day asked, can you keep all of this perfectly, loving God perfectly, loving your neighbor perfectly? And the response was, no, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So in response to that, the question that naturally arises is here in Lord's Day 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where, then, did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there, our creator, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And we'll remember in particular verse 11 where Jesus Christ says here, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a man who is a wretched sinner. Nothing that is done pleases God. It all falls short. And it's only the patience of God that permits him to live and to breathe for one more second. How many of you see yourself in this picture? It's a pretty dark one, isn't it? 
I would challenge you today, however, if this is your view of yourself, to re-examine your thoughts, to take a second look at your reasoning. Very often, Christians can fall into this pattern of, of thinking, I'm just a loathsome, vile sinner, and everyone around me feels that way, and God almost certainly feels that way about me. But here's my question for you. Do you believe in Christ? Have you put your trust in him? If this is so, and I believe that for many of us who struggle with these thoughts, this is so. If this is so, then this is the way that we were. But this is not the way that we are. As a believer, you have two natures, an old sinful nature with a heart of stone. And yes, it's true, that nature could not please God. In fact, it had no desire to please God. It was rebellious against God from the moment it entered into this world. But as we read in Ezekiel 36, God reached into us and he took out our heart of stone and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. He's taken away the deadness that is inside of you, the hatred and the rebellion, and he's replaced it with life. And as that life and light begins to spread to every dark corner of your being, he rejoices because our Lord and Savior, our Maker, is seeing his work being carried out in your life. The old nature is dying out, and the new nature has come, and Christ's joy is here to stay. So I'd like to reflect on those points a little bit more this afternoon under the theme, Christ's joy remains. What Christ declares to us today in verse 11 of John 15, that his joy remains. And we'll see, first of all, the way things were, and second, the way things are. Now, many of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and the fall into sin. In Genesis 3, mankind fell and became, as we describe it in our confessions, totally depraved. Which is not to say that we became as bad as it could be in every sphere of our being, but... We, we only have to look around the world to see that this is not the case. But we do recognize that every area of our life has become corrupted with sin. And we can see this as we struggle to submit these areas of, of life to God, can't we? We can see that we, we struggle with this in different ways and to, with many of us to different extents in the areas of, say, finance, in the areas of uh, relationships in the areas of sexuality or of entertainment or whatever else the area of life might be. We can see that every part of our lives is touched by it. And because of this, mankind, as we confess in Ephesians, is dead in sin. By his grace, however, God didn't completely turn man over to his sin. And we spoke about this a little bit as we were looking at the introduction to this first part in our sin and misery in Lord's Day 2. He restrains the worst impulses of man that has this deadness within it. 
He leaves some light of nature whereby mankind can establish and maintain good order and even respond to each other with mar- remarkable acts of selflessness and of kindness. Canons of Dort 3 4, Article 4. But this light itself isn't enough to save mankind. He is still left with this fallen nature, this sinful nature. There is no exception to that for those outside of Christ. As we read in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, Across the board, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all this light of nature is, is a restraining hand on the fallen nature. This light of nature can't save a person or by it restore them back again to a right relationship with God because it doesn't come from inside of him. It is left in the world by God to restrain man and hold him back from throwing himself off the cliff without a parachute. Having rebelled against God, man moved himself from one camp to another, from the camp of God to the camp of Satan. And in Colossians 1, it says that this man, the heart of this man, natural man, is hostile towards God. Without the intervening grace of God, he's pretty happy to stay there. Now we need to be clear on why we are here. We confess in our catechism today that God had created man good and in his image, and we know that to be true. If we look at the very first chapter of the Bible, we become very aware of this. Some of you may have seen this again in the creation uh, events that we had, where he spoke at length about how God created everything good. After each day, God had said, it was created and it was very good. God looked at all of his creation, including man, and he said his creation was very good. Man was created to be the image of God, God who is the fountain of all good. He's the source of all good. Goodness itself comes from God. Every good and perfect thing, as we've read here in Owen Sound so often from James 1 verse 17. Humanity was good because God is good and he was like a mirror reflecting this goodness of God. But through their own fault, mankind fell. And ever since mankind made that decision, humanity has been in rebellion against God. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, humanity has been in rebellion against God. Every single human being who followed after them has been conceived and born in sin. Job, a man of God, says in the 14th chapter of his book, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and he fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. In the book of Psalms, we see this repeated again. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Humanity is, as we heard it described in our confession today, totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. 
The prophet Isaiah describes this in chapter 64, verse 6 of his book as well, where the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, but we all alike are an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. All of humanity's righteousnesses, it says, which you might say all of humanity's best works are like this filthy rag that is taken away, this unclean thing. This is the state to which man has fallen, and even our best works then are corrupted, whether it be from impure motives or other reasons, any motives at the end of the day which are not done to the glory of God. Now, if that is the state of man, then we're in a pretty bad place, aren't we? Take our passage today in John 15 now. Christ tells us to keep his commandments. He tells us to abide in his love. And then to top it all off, in the focal point of our passage, verse 11, he says that he tells us these things so that our joy may be full. But look at the state that mankind is in. How can it be possible that we are given commands to love, commands that, humanly speaking, we don't have the strength for, and then be told to rejoice about it? If we see ourselves as nothing more than broken, fallen sinners, as nothing more than people who are only restrained from the wrath of God by a spider's web, you might say. Then how can we rejoice in what Jesus Christ says here? Well, this was the state of man. But is it still the state that mankind is in? Is it the state of those to whom Christ is speaking today in our passage, of those disciples of his? We'll reflect on this in our second point, taking a quick look at Lord's Day 3 once again. Let's take a quick look at that final line of Lord's Day 3, page 520. What does he say here? Are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, he says, we are so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Unless we are reborn, Christ redeems us, then we are given a new life by the Spirit of God. Now here's the amazing thing. For those of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is you. You are no longer controlled by the old nature. And our Father in heaven doesn't view you through the lens of our old nature. We ourselves look to our old and fallen nature to remind us of how much we've been rescued from. But we are not viewed or controlled by a nature that is inclined to hate God 
and its neighbor and is only restrained from doing so by God's mercy, by this light that he's left in the world for the good order of society, for the good order of man. You have been reborn. You have been made alive and Christ's life is in you. What this means is that when you do good things, things which God has prepared in advance for you to do, then they are genuinely coming out of a nature that wants to, however imperfectly, that wants to please God. And because of that, your Heavenly Father delights in it. Because having been brought to life and empowered by the Spirit, this repentance comes from within, and this new life that God has made dwells in you. Your desire to do good flows out of love for your Heavenly Father. It flows out of the life that you find within the vine, that life that flows through you. And it's now a natural byproduct of this new life that is yours, that God has so graciously worked in you. That's what the Spirit of God does for us. We confess this also in Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 12 as well, when it describes some of the fruit that comes out. It says, acted upon by God, the will itself also acts. We're given reason to rejoice because God doesn't leave us in the position of lost and he doesn't look at us through the lens of those who are lost. If you believe in Christ, you've been brought into a new situation. As Christ says here in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He doesn't say you will become the branches. He says you are the branches. You already live in a relationship with, of love that Christ has extended to you. A love that has been worked in your heart by the Spirit. A love that bears fruit. It might begin small. Don't be discouraged if it does. Because it grows. Your response of your own love happens and deepens and it grows as you invest in this relationship with Christ. As you take away those things that distract you, as your heavenly Father prunes you and you invest in the things that really delight Him, really, genuinely, this happens and this deepens and He delights in it. That's why Jesus Christ is saying to His disciples here, these things I have spoken to you that my joy remains in you and that your joy may be full. It's no different from any other relationship that way. You do what you do not because you want to get something out of it, but because you want to invest something into it. And therefore, because of that, because of what God has worked in you, this brings you joy and life and it bears fruit. Yes, because of him you bear much fruit. And this fruit brings joy. It does fall short from perfection. But God doesn't view us through the old nature. He sees us 
in this new nature. He sees this as the effects of this new life to which we've been brought. Yes, you don't serve God with such zeal as he requires, and yet it's forgiven in Christ. For the sake of Christ, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ, your sins are removed. Now the good that you do is not a restraint that is placed upon you in order to bring forward a a society in which humanity can live and carry on from generation to generation, but instead it's the beginnings of new life that's within you. I'll say that again. Now the good you do is not because of a restraint on evil that's placed on you. Instead, it's the beginning of new life that's within you. Do you see the difference between these two categories? Restraint of the dead nature versus the thriving of a living nature. Think of Psalm 32, verse 9 for a moment. It says of the person who won't repent, it says to the person who won't repent, don't be like the horse or mule which must be controlled by a bit or bridle. Don't be like that. Because this is the old nature's reaction to God. The old nature, as we saw earlier, as we read in Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23, it has, it it is hostile towards God, which is why what it does in rebellion delights it. They're called to reject that kind of a response. Believers who are listening to Psalm 32 are called to reject that kind of a response to the call to repentance because that would be living as if we were in the old nature and we're not there anymore. Instead, we're in the category of a new nature. It's like a tree that extends its roots by a stream, Psalm 1. It stretches out its roots to the source of life so that that life can flow through it and let it bear fruit to the glory of God. If you belong to Christ, you are not in the category of doing what is right because you are a stubborn mule needing to be restrained from what is evil. You are instead viewed by God like a young tree that's slowly being nurtured. And the gardener delights in it every day that it flourishes and that it grows. It's not full size yet. It's not completely mature and bearing fruit to the same degree as Maybe other trees are, but the gardener takes great joy in it all the same. He knows what will come. Corruption is there, yes, but it's being washed away every day. And he prunes it and shapes it. It's not perfect and fully mature, but that doesn't matter. Because he knows what he is shaping it to become. And so, too, we are looking ahead to that final day. Because, beloved, Christ is shaping us for eternity. But you can only understand this, what Christ is shaping us to be, and the lens that that the Father views us through. You can only understand this if you understand where you have been brought from and where you've been brought to. You have been brought from an old, dead nature. That is the way that things were. But believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. You've been brought to 
new life in Christ. And that is the way things are. As things were, the old nature had no real interest in committing to Christ, in remaining in Christ, or investing in that relationship. But as things are, you now bear fruit. And as you see more and more of this fruit coming out, you have more and more reason for joy. Because it shows that your relationship is real. So this coming home visit season, beloved, when you see the elders coming from door to door and you see the elders coming into your life, you'll once again be encouraged to grow. You'll be encouraged to bear fruit and to cut distractions out of your life. But don't see these things as a measure of the way things were. Don't see them as a failure of a nature that couldn't possibly live up to or please God. Beloved, see this as evidence of the work of the vine dresser who is pruning you to grow so that you can bear more fruit and so that you can delight in the evidence in the proof that he gives you of his hand at work. Proof of your regeneration, which is happening, which has happened, which we read about in Lord's Day 3. And more than that, take this opportunity in this coming home visit season, as the elders come into your home, not just to reflect on what you can change, not just to reflect on those things that you want to look forward to in the future and not to reflect on those things that you, you hope the elders don't ask you about. No, not to reflect on the things, not just to reflect on the areas on which you struggle and the areas where you feel you've failed, but in light of this new situation to which you've been brought, reflect on the fruit that this pruning has brought into your life. Share your joy with your elders. Think about what's happened over the past year, over the past five years, over the past ten years as you've borne fruit. And share your joy with them as you see God's grace evident in your life. The evidence of God's grace at work. This proof of the new nature which God has placed in every believer who confesses Christ. And rejoice together as you make plans to continue pursuing this goal of dwelling in Christ, delighting in his love for you, despite your need to keep growing in maturity and delighting in bearing fruit for his glory, delighting in bearing fruit for the kingdom. Amen.